No. <laughs> okay. Um, now I'm going to try and keep a straight face. All right, I'm wrong. Nip. <laughs> we just sat here for an hour waiting for the camera to charge, and now we can't talk. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, oh, as ready as I'll ever be. Okay. Oh, I was ready. <laughs> Welcome to the Connected Athlete Podcast. This is episode number one. Um, I'd like to welcome Elkie Parker here, who'll be helping co-host our new podcast. My name is Nanette Latter. I'm an exercise physiologist and sports scientist and have worked in professional and amateur sport over the last few decades. And as a result of that, uh, in recent times, I've decided that maybe we would put together a podcast to discuss some of the topics that I regularly speak to athletes, parents, coaches, mentors, uh, and staff about with regard to how to deal with athletes and potentially their in-career uh, paths, and certainly once they get out into the real world and potentially lose their sporting career and get a little bit lost with regard to what comes next. One of the questions that you might have for us for this podcast is why we're actually doing the podcast and what we hope that people will get out of it. And I guess one of the things um, that I'm really passionate about is sharing the experience that myself and others have had in the sporting arena with their athletes and uh, opportunities that they've had uh, and the experience they've had even themselves uh, providing services and being around athletes. Um, and hopefully we will potentially answer some questions that parents, coaches, mentors, uh, athletes will have and even spark some conversations between those uh, different um, parts of the village as well. Um, what do I hope that you get out of it? Definitely starting a lot more conversations around how do we support athletes and how do we best go about that individually as the people in the village, but also as a collective group. Um, having an understanding of uh, what it takes to get an athlete um, to where they're going, I think takes a lot of experience and then a lot of reflection on how our behaviour and, and what we do has um, impacts that athlete. The podcast will be structured predominantly around uh, my experience initially, Elke asking me some questions uh, based on uh, some of the information that we're putting forward and then moving more in towards having guests and sparking a little bit more conversation about certain topics. One of the things that I'd like to make very clear about the podcast is that the information that we give is predominantly related to our experience. It isn't research-based necessarily uh, and it isn't something that we tell people they must do. It's more about having that conversation and, and learning along the way and maybe taking some bits and pieces out of the experience that we're providing you. First, uh, I guess the first podcast is more about uh, something that I like to talk to athletes and coaches about in terms of it takes a village for an athlete to achieve at the highest level. Everyone wants someone who will believe in them and that belief is something that as coaches, athletes, parents, mentors, anyone that's involved in an athlete, we have a significant role in teaching an athlete how to believe in themselves. The greatest joy I have is when an athlete truly believes in themselves and they have that confidence to take risks, they have the resilience to lose or not perform at the highest level and cope with the re 
repercussions of that and then have the confidence to go again and challenge themselves in the future. How many roles have you had within athlete, parent, coaching? You'd say it takes a village. Have you been a part of each separate village or person that creates an athlete to make them who they are? Yeah, look, I've certainly played nearly every role there is uh, with regard to being an athlete. Uh, I was an athlete myself. I've been a coach. I've been a mentor. I've been a parent. I've been a manager. Uh, I've certainly uh, worked a lot within youth athlete development recent times, but I've also had a role in professional sports. So I've had a very, very lucky uh, and broad career. And now I see my role as trying to put across how we can best support athletes uh, in every endeavour. Where do you think it starts? I think from my point of view, it starts with athlete-parent relationship. I think most athletes that get to the top have got a significant support system uh, at home. Uh, And then as you go along, it definitely has a big impact um, on the athlete depending on who their coach is, what information they're getting, injuries, opportunities, all of those things come into it. And negotiating those spaces for athletes sometimes is really difficult. And do you think managing school and the way teachers, maybe they're a big part of upbringing of kids, so that's probably eight hours of their day that they spend without their parental figures. How do you think schools can help to improve an athlete or make them better and who they are? I think from a school perspective, it's really interesting because often athletes don't necessarily get seen as being academic or wanting to have an education and a different path. Uh, Certainly when I was a young athlete, uh, I was in a situation where the school didn't necessarily support me as an athlete and saw that I just wanted to be an athlete and never really go down the path of potentially getting a degree or a, a different qualification. So I think schools have a big impact and an understanding of the commitment it, it, it needs to be an elite athlete. I think definitely there needs to be more focus on allowing athletes to go on the avenue that they want, even not even athletes, um, even kids that want to do a trade. It's definitely heading towards actually letting them figure out what works best for their learning style and applying that for the future. Certainly. Um, I am not an academic. I'm very much a practical person, so... For me, it was never a pathway to, in terms of going and doing a degree or doing tertiary education, it was something that came along later for me. But I think also there's a lot of pressure on uh, young athletes to make a decision on a career, both in their sport and in their long-term plan, in case their sport doesn't get them to where they want to go or they have a catastrophic injury. I spent a lot of time trying to help athletes balance that. I think it's extremely important that kids get a really good education because it is a fallback and there should always be an alternate plan. And if you look at the best athletes in the world that have been the most successful in life itself, they've always had a plan. And that's a big part of how we present to the athlete. Always have a plan. If you don't achieve the goal, either the short-term goal or the long-term goal, what's the next part of the plan for you so that it's not a stopgap. How do you communicate with a parent when they're, one, can be biased towards their child and maybe pushing them too far one way to the other when you really want 
that balance and what the athlete wants? How do you communicate that to a parent as a coach? It's a really difficult uh, conversation. Probably uh, if you think about how committed and uh, passionate parents are about their children, we all are, um, it's a very fine line to discuss with a parent that's heavily invested what that child or young athlete needs moving forward. It might be that they need a little bit more space from the parent. They might Their parent might be their coach and oh, trying yes. to separate themselves from that. I certainly had a parent as a coach and it's not easy because they're usually harder on you than they are on anyone else. Um, but it's certainly a very delicate conversation and it's something that evolves over time. So it's, it's about really finding out what the athlete is interested in. Is it their passion to be in the sport or is it more mum and dad's passion or their coach's passion? I think at the end of the day, no one's going to exceed, uh, succeed in their sport unless they're actually passionate about themselves. We can push them, we can have dreams for them, we can really want them to pursue that career. But at the end of the day, that would be like me saying, okay, well, uh, Elkie, I know you're really good at sport, but I actually think you should go and be an architect at university and I'm going <laughs> to push you down that pathway. And you have no passion or desire to continue that. If you want to, you will do it. That's right. And find the way. Yeah. There are certainly athletes that, overcome lots of adversity and they succeed regardless of the support uh, they have maybe from home maybe the type of coaching they've got they're very internally driven uh, they are just so passionate about their sport they're just going to push through until they break through or eventually they get to a point where they've gone as far as they can and we have to remember that to have a career in professional sport is a very low percentage so my biggest, uh, I guess, comment to my athletes is it's okay to be a really good community athlete. It's yep. okay to just get to state level. It's okay to just represent your school. Uh, it's Everyone has a point at which they can't go any further with their ability, and that's okay as well. And accepting that is a really good way to understand uh, where you're at in the world with your sport. Um, the connections that you make through sport as a community athlete can help you within your job later on. They can help you out in ways that you don't realise until you kind of come out of that sporting environment and you go into more of a university track or trade. You figure out, especially if you live in a small place like where we are, mm. everyone knows everyone and it's very useful. Yeah. When do you decide that a person isn't for you? Very difficult mm-hmm. question. That's a well, that question. I'm like, oh, that's too close. <laughs> Don't sit in it for too many years. Yeah. I think it's a really good skill to be able to identify people that are better at things than you. And there's always going to be people that are better at things than you, and you just need to accept that. You know, I might have 20 years' experience, 20-something years' experience in the industry. My experience is very different to other people that have the same qualifications, even similar experiences, because my interest is in a particular thing. So my interest has always been the human, and that means that I haven't been as technically correct, I haven't been as academic as other people, I haven't worked in areas where I have tried to progress through an organisation um, I've very much run my own race in terms of this is what I want to do, this is how I want to present it. So I've worked for myself a lot of that time. 
because it is the human I want to focus on. My experience in some other organisations is there's a lot of attachment to money, there's a lot of attachment to progressing and going through career progressions, going through um, achievement progression, uh, bringing in the latest new research all the time, trying to keep up with all of that. Whilst that's really important and I'm not taking anything away from that, it's certainly not a strength of mine over time. Mine has definitely been, how do I get the best out of this human? How can I get to know them? How can I make them feel like they're worthy and they're, they've got all the skills that they can to be the athlete that they need to be? So you know, that is my absolute passion. And knowing yourself first probably was a huge part of being able to see if someone connects with you, not just focusing on the athlete, obviously that being a big part. But I think if you don't actually know where you sit within your continuum, how are you meant to communicate that to a 14-year-old athlete Mm. that has no idea where they sit on the planet? Yeah, yeah. Certainly, I mean, my background is in uh, I was a hockey player and as a young person competed at a high level from a small country town. And when it was time to move to Melbourne and take my whole life to Melbourne and become what's considered a full-time athlete, it was extremely confronting for me because it was a city. I've never lived in a city before. I played a lot of hockey in Melbourne, but I'd never lived in a city before. I didn't actually know what I was going to do with my life at that <laughs> stage. I, hockey. Yeah, that's, that's right. Hockey was it. <laughs> and it was very confronting. I didn't feel safe. I felt very much out of my uh, league. All of a sudden, I'm having to go to the gym regularly. I'm having to go to training. I'm having to go to these meetings, you know. Um, so it was it was really hard for me and it was a big adjustment and I'm quite a strong personality. So I can't imagine what it would be like for someone who didn't have the same level of confidence. What I found over time, though, was that it wasn't for me. I was very lucky to have parents that taught me my where I sat on that continuum and how, you know, how good I was or how good I wasn't. <laughs> And I was very well adjusted in terms of being able to look at it and think, well, these five players are better than me in this position. So when it came time to making a decision to be uh, a national athlete, which I'd been in and out of national teams, but when it came down to the nitty-gritty of moving to Perth and potentially <laughs> extending my career over there at the AOS. Nothing I, against Perth. Yeah. <laughs> I, remember, I remember my first visit thinking, this isn't for me. I, I'm not good enough to be a full-time athlete long-term. There were people ahead of me that were not going to be going anywhere. And I had, luckily, the insight to go, okay, well, I can spend the next seven seven years of my life trying to have a professional sporting career or I can bite the bullet and still play at a state level and enjoy my hockey and stay at home or stay in Melbourne, whatever that might be. There are a lot of athletes that were doing the same thing as I was at that stage and some of my friends at that stage, and they spent the next five to seven years doing that and never made it. Figuring it out. So being able to understand, one, where you sit in a team and you know whether you are good enough, whether you're putting in enough time. I think part of mine was I wasn't prepared to sacrifice everything to be a hockey player. But post that, it was, oh, but I've always been a hockey player. Who am I now? If I'm not going to be Nan Ladder, the hockey player, who am I going to be now that I don't have that in my life? So that was a big adjustment for me. It was probably the biggest adjustment of that part 
who am I and what am I going to do in the future? Did you have a coach pushing that plan B? We talk about preparing an athlete to maybe not get to the level that they would want. And we asked the horrible questions of what you want to do. I think the big thing is not enforcing them that they have to do that. (laughs) But athletes having a plan B other than sports really important. And did you have someone telling you that you need a plan B or did you kind of just figure that out? No, (laughs) the hard way. That was definitely the hard part. uh, It was almost like I woke up the next day after I decided I wasn't going to do it and thought, right, so I don't really have anything else uh, in terms of my plan. Um, And it was very tough. So... swimming all my life, do I go into water polo? 
because that's a nice transition into a sport that still requires um, swimming, but it's not the up and down, up and down, up and down. It is it's just a different with your transition. Legs. You just stand. Yeah, that's right. Standing. It's more, it's more vertical than horizontal. But it's a really hard sport. You get drowned. You get, yeah, and a bit more violent than swimming. Swimming by yeah. yourself in a lane peacefully. Yeah. Waterfall. But often there is that. Nice but it is fun. Medium between those two sports. Because um, underwater hockey, have you played that? No, I haven't. Oh, you probably not really a water sport no, person. No, I don't think so. No. But yeah, I think the the thing when you finish your main career in a sport, finding other activities to do can be difficult because part of being in that is that competitive nature. You really want to compete, and if that gets taken away from you, where does that competitive component of your personality come out? Okay, does it come into your career? And that's where you put that energy. Is it in a different sport? You know, there's not many things you can do with that competitive nature. And take it out on your friends. Well, that's probably not the way to go. No, I'm just saying that would definitely need to happen. Yes, it would. Yes, and I've certainly got ex-athlete friends that compete at everything. Do <laughs> you want to go and play social tennis? No, because you're going to kill me. How fast can you make that coffee? Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there's certainly some people that have a very competitive nature. And it certainly comes across in lots of parts of their life. Um, but it also has probably been a very significant part of their success as well. Um, whereas I, whilst I'm competitive, I don't have the same competitive nature as a lot of my friends who have been athletes or even athletes that I did with today. So I guess... Uh, if we were to summarise today's podcast and uh, hopefully uh, piques some people's interest in terms of what the future podcasts will be um, and what they will involve, is I really want people to understand that connecting with people, building rapports, you know, building a village around an athlete uh, is something that I'm extremely passionate about. Uh, the people that are going to be coming onto the podcast uh, those types of people will have parents, coaches, mentors, um, you know, psychologists, physios, uh, all of those people that have a role, um, teachers have a role in an athlete's life. Um, we hope to get their insight into how they perceive their roles, how their experience with those athletes over a period of time, uh, what they'd like to see change uh, in some of those areas. And hopefully you can have athletes that are proud of what they achieve, uh, they have good positive self-talk and that their resilience is building over time so that if things fall apart, if things don't happen the way that they would like them to happen, they have all of these tools and all of this support behind them to say it's okay. It's okay to not achieve your goal. When did we start saying that? You have to achieve, you have to achieve, you have to achieve all these goals. It's not the case. Goals are there to work towards. They're not something that has to be ticked off and then you can move forward. So really teaching them that they're things that they're working towards. It's not a reflection necessarily of who they are and how they'll progress in the future. I think that's a really good way to put it. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>